Hi, everybody. It's Bean, and welcome to an all-new episode of Great Moments in Weed History. Abdullah is taking a little hiatus right now, but I had a chance this week to sit down and have a sesh and a fascinating conversation with our guest, Laganja Estranja. I feel like the two of us kind of connected right away around the idea of cannabis as a creative tool, something that I don't think we really talk enough about probably because of all the other incredible benefits of this plant. Primarily, its incredible medicinal properties, but also its utility as food, fuel, fiber, everything that we love about cannabis. But what we locked in on in this conversation was using cannabis, in essence, to enhance our free expression, how we bring new things into the world, share them with others. That could, of course, be creating weed itself as a grower. It could be writing a poem. It could even be doing the dishes if you've got a good song bumping and you are maybe sharing that activity with a friend or a loved one or just using it as time to vibe out and daydream. Now, a little bit about our guest this week, Laganja Estranja, a.k.a. Jay Jackson, is a world-renowned choreographer, artist, cannabis advocate, and LGBTQ plus icon. As Laganja, she was launched to stardom on season six of RuPaul's Drag Race. And as we get into in the episode, this was a big moment for weed on television. We're going back a number of years to a time when positive depictions of this plant and this culture were very few and far between. And we're going to tell the story of that great moment in weed history by going all the way back to the beginning of Laganja's story with her first puff of brickweed in Texas. And I can tell you it is a truly inspiring and up lifting tail with some real highs and lows and a very, very happy ending. Getting back to cannabis and creativity for a minute, that's a subject I devoted an entire chapter to in my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly. Possibly you've been doing it wrong all this time. And that is a book that you can get as a benefit if you join our Patreon at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. The biggest tip I can give you right off the jump when it comes to cannabis and creativity is to always decide what you will do after you get stoned, before you get stoned, and then do it. Very simple, but I promise dutifully followed this advice will change your life. And you can change our lives by supporting us on Patreon at Great Moments in Weed History. As mentioned, you can get a copy of my book, or you can put just five on it, or as little as a dollar to show us the love. You will get the video version of this podcast. You will see Laganja and I seshing it up at the very top of the conversation. You see me waving to you right now. So please support us at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. You can also support us by inviting a friend or two to come get high on history with us. Tell them about Great Moments in Weed History at your next sesh, or send them a text on the phone with a link to one of your favorite episodes. Speaking of friends, another wonderful aspect of weed culture that we discuss in this episode is how much fun it is to meet and sort of insta-bond with another stoner, something I feel like 
definitely happened on this episode. And we also talk about how weed helps us all process our trauma. So like I said, we really hit the highs and lows together. I invite you to get yourself settled in for this conversation. Personally, I've got one of the great moments in weed history pre-roll joints that are now available in Washington State dispensaries, all ready to go. Please tell your friends in Washington State to check out our 10 different collectible pre-roll packages, each celebrating a different great moment. But oh no, I'm being told that you, you, specifically you, not everybody else, are not ready to roll into this episode. That is understandable. Also, easily remedied. All you need to do is hit pause on your podcasting device and use that time at your leisure to roll a joint, split a blunt, pack a bong, indabulate a dab, eat as many edibles as you can handle, but not one edible more. And when you are thusly prepared, we will also be ready for another great moment in weed history. Are you rolling one up over there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. All right. We're definitely ready to go. Right? We can't do an interview without a joint. Absolutely. Well, welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. We are honored to have you here. We are very excited to hear your story. And we usually start these interviews off with the same question to get us rolling, although you're a half a step ahead of rolling. You seem to be lighting up. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> When did cannabis first enter your life? Let's let's start your story at that uh, at that important moment. So I was introduced to cannabis when I was a senior in high school. I had a friend by the name of Lauren Glenn, who was a total pothead, uh, or a pot princess, as I like to say. And she uh, really wanted me to smoke pot with her, but I was very scared of it. You know, growing up in Texas, there was a lot of stigma around what people referred to as the devil's lettuce. It took a lot of convincing, but eventually uh, she was able to convince me. I was working on a dance piece at the time for a thing known as the National Foundation for the Advancement of Arts, which is now known as Young Arts. And I had a choreography block, and I couldn't really figure out what to do with my dancers. And so Lauren had suggested that we go and smoke cannabis, and that when we came back, I would be able to allow my creative juices to flow. So that's exactly what we did. We left school campus because I am not a rule breaker and did not want to get caught on campus smoking pot. And we drove around, we smoked pot, obviously breaking other rules. But, you know, as long as I wasn't breaking <laughs> the school rules, I was okay. Well, we, we have a saying in the underground, never break two laws at the same time. Right. We had our seatbelts on. So, you know, we were only breaking <laughs> one rule. You know, I don't really remember getting necessarily medicated my first try. Uh, but eventually, after several tries, I did. And I was able to get past my choreography blockage. And that piece that I choreographed ended up uh, awarding me 
with the Presidential Scholar in the Arts. So I was actually able to take that piece to the Kennedy Center and have the president, who was George Bush at the time, who at the time I hated, but now I'm like, he's not that bad in comparison <laughs> to what we just had. And I got to present my work in front of him at the Kennedy Center. So I always like to say that, you know, cannabis right off the bat for me, really helped me achieve my goals and dreams. That's very interesting. And just to put us in perspective, is this prior to your involvement in drag? Oh, yes. This is long before. So I I, I think I was 17 years old and I didn't start drag till I was um, maybe 21. Growing up in Texas, there was a lot of stigma around cannabis. So I always feared it. I thought it was a scary thing. I thought it was like a drug. I didn't really understand that it was medicinal and that it could really help me. For me, it was sort of like either scary or also like a party drug, something that my friends would do at parties. So I just never really found my way towards the plant. And it wasn't until she, Lauren Glenn, really reframed it for me in this way of creative stimulation that I was able to kind of accept it and try it. And I think for me, you know, I've seen so many benefits from cannabis since then, regulating my sleeping and eating cycles, helping me with anxiety, helping me with physical pain. So, you know, the more I smoked, the more I began to realize that this wasn't a drug and that it was in fact medicine, which is why I chose to make it my platform. Amazing. And so it's, it sounds like you were a very high achieving person at this time. You, you, you were... Uh, literally uh, had a a work block as as the origin story of cannabis coming into your life. And then you take it to this very, very high level of performing in front of the president of the United States. So were you surprised to find that like not only wasn't cannabis detrimental to your art and to your passions and to your work ethic, but it seems like it has uh, enhanced them? Exactly. Yeah, I was very surprised. I was not expecting it. And it was uh, such a beautiful life changing moment for me because, you know, cannabis now is really integral to the person that I am and the artist that I am. And where did your uh, weed journey take you next? Was this something that you uh, enjoyed occasionally? Or did you jump right in? And, And what was the cannabis that was available to you in this time and place like? I would definitely say in the beginning, I did jump right in. Uh, once I realized there was nothing to fear about the plan itself, I definitely began using it more regularly. Um, not to the point where I do today. I wasn't, you know, waking and baking and going to school, but definitely after school, once school was done, uh, in order to work on choreography, definitely, you know, again at parties, um, to help me sleep. Now, in the beginning, when I was in Texas, you know, all I really had access to was like brickweed. So weed that comes in a giant brick, it's usually brown. You might find some roaches or some other things up in that brick. <laughs> and I'm not talking roaches the bug. I'm talking like little smoked roaches that got thrilled in and pressed and come back. Lots of seeds, lots of stems. Um, you know, I think people would refer to it as like mids now, maybe, maybe even lower grade than mids. But um, at the time, you know, I didn't have the tolerance I have now. So it definitely worked for me. And I didn't really know any differently. My sister, who lived in Texas at the time, also smoked this type of weed and had her whole life. So to me, it was kind of normal. I didn't really judge it. It wasn't until I moved to California and discovered like full on medical grade cannabis that I realized I was smoking shit. (laughs) And do you remember the first time you encountered higher quality cannabis? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went to CalArts, uh, California Institute of the Arts out in Valencia, California. We're most known for our crazy alumni like David Hasselhoff and Pee Wee Herman. So I feel like I fit right in with them. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had a drug dealer who, you know, would get cannabis from the dispensaries. Now, I didn't understand that dispensaries were open and I could have just gone straight there. I was still so very new. And so... Luckily, the, uh, you know, drug dealer who's now still one of my very friends to this day. And we, I say drug dealer because it's funny to me because she wasn't really dealing drugs. She was a medicine healer, if you will. Um, you know, she would get it from the dispensary and then give it to me. So I remember, you know, seeing my first bud and having it have a strain name. You know, that was something new to me. I, I didn't know what I got. I just got weed. So having different strains, being able to choose between sativa and indica and all of that, it was such a, a magical landscape for me to begin exploring at that age. We find a lot of people who have internalized some of these stigmas about cannabis as, as a young person, uh, but then overcome it and try it and like it. Uh, well, that will certainly change your mind about cannabis, but it can often lead people to question other aspects of society and themselves. So was that a process that that began for you with with your first time smoking weed? Absolutely. You know, people always ask me, do you believe cannabis is a gateway drug? And I say, yes, I do. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. But because people tell you it's such a bad thing, and then you try it and discover that it's not, I believe that opens a lot of doors. Like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean just going to try other drugs. Although I definitely did that. It also meant questioning, you know, people and the way they interacted with each other, questioning myself. So there was a lot of different things that I think it really opened my mind to. And also in terms of the kinds of people that you uh, meet and interact with in life, it sort of opens this door to a to a hidden world. So in what way did weed inform your life journey as far as uh, meeting other people and, and the experiences that you were having? Well, I definitely think cannabis is really communal. That's one of my favorite parts about the plant is that it really does bring people of lots of different walks of life together. I'd like to say that I was a very open person from a young age. I didn't, I've never really judged people on the way they look or what they're into or even their religion. I think as long as you're a nice, kind person with good intentions, uh, you know, you're good in my book. So I definitely think cannabis just allowed me to sink into that more and, you know, for a long time in the beginning, I thought people who smoked cannabis were bad and they were druggies. And so that obviously changed. And I, I began to make friends with a lot of other stoners. And when, um, you know, now we've got sort of your cannabis origin story, uh, where along this timeline does drag uh, come into it? So I would say that drag uh, probably started my sophomore to junior year of college. There was a, a great event that would happen every Thursday in our main gallery space where different artists would put up different pieces of artwork. Dancers would dance. Musicians would play. It was sort of like an all-school party. And it was at those parties that I began to explore um at that time, I didn't know it was my gender. At that time, I thought it was an art form. But I began to explore, you know, dressing as a female. And when, because uh, quite famously they do, when do these two intersect? 
when 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 do you com- bring uh, cannabis into drag and drag into your cannabis? Sure. Well, I think they were always uh, at an intersection with each other. Again, I was using cannabis to create. So when doing drag, it was another form of creating. I was always smoking cannabis. At this point, you know, now I'm in college and I am waking and baking before class. I'm smoking at lunch with my some of my teachers. Um, you know, my campus was very pot friendly and i'm very grateful for that doesn't mean we could just smoke in the halls although we did (laughs) mostly we would go outside and on hippie hill is where we would smoke so um you know again it was just always integrated in the art it was never separate um and it wasn't really until probably i started forming the character and realizing that this you know was going to be something that i created the name laganja astranja because i wanted people to really remember me for my green Amazing. Yeah. Well, I want to talk all about the the character, but I I do want to add something you said is interesting. Like we talk about ideas as these sort of ideas that you have uh, when or even because you're high. Can you think of something specific to your creative work uh, that you came up with? while being high and maybe and maybe take us through that process. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one particular thing because as I said, once I realized that this was a a tool in creativity, everything I did from that on that point out involved cannabis. So, it's hard to be like, "Oh, I remember this one time when I had this one idea because I've been stoned since, you know, 18." <laughs> so, it's just a part of my makeup and I think one of the reasons I do love it is because it allows me to be free. And um, while sometimes I wish I had a better memory, in those moments when you're creating, you know, sometimes you need to get rid of that block. You need to stop trying to remember or pull from past things and then just go forward. That's kind of what I've done, you know. I think my name, my the creation of my name, Laganja Stranja, was definitely something that was involved while being stoned. I think uh, many of my looks that I've created uh, as far as like wigs or or clothing choices have definitely been influenced by cannabis, not only as, you know, my classic signature green outfits, but also in other things like in particular, my butterfly look that I did on RuPaul's Drag Race. That was definitely inspired by a night where I was getting stoned with a, a costumer and he was showing me books of Alexander McQueen's pieces and these beautiful uh, butterfly head pieces that he had created. So, you know, th- there is a specific moment. I just pulled one out. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a great moment. It's not one of those will. things, like I said, that necessarily comes to the tip of my tongue because I'm pretty much generally stoned when creating. Same. <laughs> Up to and including right now. Exactly. Yeah, we had a nice little sesh at the top of this interview. Let's talk about the character. What's the origin story there from, from conception to doing it in public or at a show or in, in some sense sharing it with the world? Well, I always had an affinity for female clothing. As a very young child, you know, I would go into my sister's closet and put on her dresses. So this was something I discovered at a very early age. Um, But being again that I was in Texas, I didn't really have a way to decipher it or understand it. So when I found drag, it was a way for me to explain to myself my femininity. It was a way for me to categorize it in my own mind so that I could be like, oh, that's just my job. That's not who I am. So obviously for me now that has changed. But if we're just talking about the specific point when now I'm in college and I've discovered drag and I feel like it's a separate entity from me. So at that time, you know, like I said, 
I wouldn't have categorized it as a character, whereas now I definitely do. Laganja is a character, it is a part of me, but it is not who I am. It helped me find who I am, but now it's very much different. Jay is very different from Laganja. At that age, when I was in, in college and exploring all of this, in my mind, it, it was just a more fabulous Jay. It wasn't necessarily a caricature of Jay, but a more fabulous version. Sort of like when Beyonce becomes Sasha Fierce. It was her alter ego. That's sort of how I felt. So I think what's interesting about that is basically as a character, now, now I view it as a character, I was deciding how I would act, what would be my mannerisms. A lot of things were influenced by, you know, the music I listened to. Missy Elliott is one of my biggest inspirations because of the way she's able to make a pop song, but also really infuse a message. And so that's exactly what I wanted to do with drag. And I think that's why I chose Laganja because even though it's fun and cool and I'm smoking pot and I'm hip, there was also this message underneath it that I was learning at that age and discovering about medicine and the way it could help people and the way it's actually very natural and that our cannabinoids are meant for our body and found in our body. And, you know, so it, I think it was a, a process, which is why it's kind of hard to talk about it now, because I really view it in such a different way than I did if you were asking me that question at, you know, say 19, 20, 21, when I was really forming this character. Yeah, that's that, that's fascinating, and and I appreciate you explaining it that way. Going back in terms of it being a performance uh, and a character, when did that premiere? When was the first time that you brought that to the world and shared uh, this aspect of yourself and also this knowledge that you had been gaining? Um, well, I would say Laganja Estranja made her big debut in college. Uh, there was an event called CalArts is Burning. It was based off a very famous documentary, Paris is Burning, which is all about the Vogue and ballroom scene. And specifically how, how, ooh, how do I say this? I'm stoned. <laughs> specifically how the people, the people of color who were trans inspired this culture. So we did a thing at our school to honor these individuals. And this is where I first kind of debuted Laganja Estranja in front of an audience. And it was received very well at my school. And because of that, I decided to go and audition for an amateur contest here in Hollywood. And the prize of that contest was to be cast as a regular showgirl in their show, which happened every Monday night. So long story short, I ended up winning and I kind of got thrust into this drag world. And in the beginning, it was more about proving myself. So I wasn't really educating people on cannabis or talking about it. Sure, I would be wearing, you know, marijuana pasties and there would be smoke weed every day at the end of all of my mixes. And yes, I was very open about smoking cannabis, but I don't think I was really getting to use my platform as, say, an activist at that time. That really came after RuPaul's Drag Race. And once I'd gotten off the show and had a bigger platform, that I was able to start infusing some of my knowledge about how this plant had changed my life for the better and how it continues to regulate my life uh, to this day. 
what are people experiencing when they're going to this drag show that you're a part of? How could you describe it for somebody who hasn't hasn't seen one? Sure. Well, they're predominantly at gay clubs, which if you've never been to a gay club, it's very loud. It's very dark and lit with a lot of fun lighting. And it is full of an eclectic space of individuals, some who may identify as gay, some who may identify as queer, some who may identify as bi, and of course, straight people too. And usually the music is a lot more fun, in my opinion. And uh, this particular place where I began my career, known as Mickey's, is pretty small, but they cram a bunch of people in. So lots of people, lots of energy, lots of dollars flying everywhere. It's a it's a pretty magical space, I gotta say. And I'm guessing this is a pretty weed-friendly scene around drag. Yes, absolutely. Those who are attending drag shows are very likely to smoke cannabis. In fact, they're maybe even more likely in California to smoke cannabis than to drink. So definitely people loved that about my character, Laganja, and loved that I represented something that they loved too. And, you know, my my partner on the show, Abdul, and I, uh, in various capacities, have, have had the honor of being on stage a few times as weed people... You get a lot of nice gifts if you put on a show and rep weed. Has that been your experience? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, people always ask me, like, did you ever think people would be waiting in line to give you joints? And I was like, no, (laughs) I I really didn't. I I wish I could say I was that smart, but I didn't have the foresight to see that. Uh, And it's been a beautiful thing. And it also goes to show you how loving and giving the cannabis community is and that we love to share this plant with one another, which I think is really cool. We interviewed the musician David Crosby uh, once, and he told us a story about a fan who threw an entire giant branch of freshly harvested weed onto the stage at a Crosby, Stills, and Nash concert. And he said the ensuing three-way scuffle was almost the end of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. They, 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 they got into a bit of a brawl over it. But uh, do, you, do you have a particular memory of a, of a gift from a, a fan or admirer or somebody who uh, saw you perform and wanted to, to share uh, some cannabis with you? Yeah, I mean, I've received crazy gifts throughout my career. Um, some of my favorites would be a plushy bong for my dog to play with. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, someone gave me like a baby plant. Are they called mothers? Oh, a, a clone maybe or a cutting? A clone, maybe a clone. So they gave me a fresh clone, which was pretty special and neat. Um, and then, you know, some of my favorites are when people will create their own rolling papers, like of me or catchphrases that I've said, and then roll the joints with those and give those to me. Um, but, you know, truly, I always say any sort of kind of cannabis gift I'm given, I'm so grateful for. I really am. Wonderful. And uh, that's the policy of this podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> now, moving on to, um, you know, the the competitive aspect of, of drag and, and, and how that led you uh, to perform on the television show. How, how did that happen for you? So far, it seems like it's been happening pretty quick. This is a weedful whirlwind of a story. Yes, I definitely agree. So once I won that amateur contest, uh, As I said, I was thrust into the spotlight every Monday night, which meant I really had to get a lot of different looks together. And at that time, I would only and always use backup dancers. So it meant getting them together, having rehearsal. And so I did that for probably about a year. 
And then that was when I auditioned for RuPaul's Drag Race. So for that year, it's pretty, pretty quick. Most drag queens work for many years before they get on RuPaul's Drag Race. So for me to have really kind of honed in on the skill in just one year and to have made a name for myself, I think I had 10K before I went on the show as far as following goes, which remember, this was a long time ago. So 10 years ago, as a drag queen, having 10K was very impressive. And I really did that by performing locally in Hollywood at every single club almost every single night. Um, I really, you know, just did everything I could to get my name out there as much as I could locally. And I think that's how I caught the eye of RuPaul's Drag Race. And of course, I had a good audition tape, or I don't think I would have gotten in. But I do think the two went hand in hand. I think it had to have shown them that I was very serious about this art form. And this is all in as Laganja. That's right. From the beginning of my drag career, I've always been Laganja. I never changed the name or the brand. It's, it's innate to who I am. Now, as you moved into the world of television and, and you know, uh, uh, certainly uh, the best known representation of this scene, I would say, for most people in the country, uh, but, but also, you know, on television, part of the larger entertainment industry, did you feel uh, directly or indirectly any sort of pushback about the, about the weed angle of things? So yes, I actually did face pushback right from the jump. So RuPaul's Drag Race unfortunately did not allow me to bring my cannabis, even though I had a medical license under Proposition 215. And they searched my bags. So even if I had snuck it in like most pot people would do, I would have gotten caught. So I'm glad again I don't break the rules and I didn't bring any in because to have my pot thrown away would have been even more worse. But right from the jump, I saw that television was going to have a problem with this side of my character. In fact, on that show, I wasn't even really able to wear pot leaves. Now, I am happy to say, just so everyone knows, RuPaul's Drag Race now allows people to smoke cannabis and wear pot leaves, which I'd like to think I had something to do with. But at that time, back in 2013, again, the stigma was a lot higher. Well, not higher, because higher is a good thing. It was a lot more <laughs> negative than it was today, you know? And unfortunately, I have sort of continued to see that throughout my career. Has it gotten better? Yes. But is it still an issue for many major companies? Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. They searched your bag. Well, they also they also search everyone's bags for cell phones because you're not allowed to bring your cell phone because they want to keep you completely unplugged. So everyone got searched. I wasn't unfairly searched. But again, uh, it did suck that at that time, even with my medical license, I wasn't allowed to medicate. Wow. And here you are in, you know, certainly one of the higher pressure moments of your life, I'm sure, being asked to perform, being asked to compete and being denied this source of inspiration for you, this medicine for you. How 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 difficult was it to to overcome that? Yeah, it was extremely difficult. I went batshit crazy, which everyone saw if they watched season six of RuPaul's Drag Race. But, you know, in a way, as horrifying as it was, it produced great television, which I do believe the producers knew at that time. Um, again, I believe they were following protocol, but I don't think they were necessarily too mad at it because it did result in great television. And unfortunately, you know, I had my first panic attack and only panic attack 
on national television. So that's how it affected me is I lost my shit. As I told you, as someone who had been medicating since I was, you know, 18 years old to finally now be 23 years old and losing access to this medicine, it just threw me off completely. That's a very complicated uh, series of events to unfold in in your life. I I, I do want to... When was that first time you were able to get back to cannabis after this experience and 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 what did you what did you find there so once i was kicked off the show i had to stay on property for another two days because we filmed a small web series after you were eliminated called whatcha packin which is where you would show one of your outfits that you didn't get to show on the show which i really didn't want to do at the time because it was with a judge miss michelle visage who she and i on the rapport of the television series did not really like each other Again, I'm happy to say nowadays we're really good friends and she totally supports me, which is awesome. But at the time, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm eliminated and now I have to go be with her and do another little thing? Oh, please. So needless to say, once we wrapped that up and I was finally admitted to go home, I got high immediately. I mean, immediately. My friends had a giant blunt and a bottle of Hennessy waiting on me. So it was intense. I think I smoked like maybe three or four puffs and I was just so extremely high. And, you know, for me, I busted out into tears because I just had a pretty traumatic experiment, experiment. It was an experiment. I had a pretty traumatic experience and, uh, I had journaled every single day that I was there. And so basically I, I read my journal to my two best friends and talked them through what I had gone through and how each and every day was. And, we laughed and we cried and there was moments where like people are going to love that and they're going to think that's so funny and moments where they were like oh we're nervous for you and maybe you shouldn't have said that and you know it was it was sort of an unpacking so uh i can't say that i enjoyed the first time getting high because in my mind it was pretty stressful but i think eventually i was able to calm down and and you know kind of go back to my normal life because the show doesn't air for another year. So once you make it, you pretty much have a year off. So I was able to get back to some normalcy in that year. And that's another aspect of cannabis that I think we don't talk uh, enough about is the treatment of the symptoms of trauma. And and also, it it helps a lot of people unpack their trauma that can be blocked from them or, or, or difficult to otherwise uh, work through. And so I, you know, we, we see clearly the plant is, is there for you in this moment. As you say, it was not a, an enjoyable experience, but it was, I'm guessing a lot better with weed than, than without. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> for me, it, it was just kind of hard because I'd gone from having such a high tolerance to having zero tolerance and all my friends expected me to be the same and, and smoke big and you're Laganja and it, it was just a lot because you know I had to unpack what I just went through but then I had to also go back out in public and everyone knew in Los Angeles that I'd gone on the show I went missing for weeks so you know people would want to ask me about it and I wasn't allowed to talk about it and so there was just a lot of pressure and um I found for me, you know, coming home, being by myself and getting stoned at night was really how I began to use that medicine after that process. Let's go forward a a year uh, to when the episodes start airing. What What's the reaction and specifically to Laganja and specifically to this idea of bringing cannabis culture 
out to a, a big audience in that way. Right. So a year later, the show comes out, and now I get the enjoyable pleasure of being re-traumatized and watching everything unfold again. And at the time, I really felt like I had done amazing and that people were going to love me. Now, unfortunately, I saw a lot of haters and a lot of negativity, not just because I smoked pot, but also because my character was so over the top because I was going through basically, you know, a withdrawal. I I was having a moment without my medicine. So that's what people were watching and they didn't understand. That's why I was so annoying and so crazy is because I didn't really feel like myself. But that's neither here nor there, because ultimately what I walked away with that project is a new group of people who loved me and who loved the fact that I was celebrating cannabis, who loved the fact that I was brave enough to go on national television and represent the community and deal with all this negative energy that I was eventually thrown. You've always obviously been a part of the cannabis community, but to become a icon of that community How did you start to feel that? So for me, how I really started seeing the community come forward was in comments. You know, we live in the day and age of a social media network, and I really believe in it because when I had people say horrible things about me like I was a drug addict, I had five more people saying, well, you don't understand that cannabis isn't a drug and having my back and leaving green hearts. And so I really started to see people standing up for me, and that's what made me feel, you know, even more glad that I had chose this platform to stand upon because it needed to be acknowledged. It needed to have someone who was brave enough to really break apart the stigma. And since then, you know, moving beyond moving out of the comments and into real life, uh, what have your positive experiences been like meeting people, going to events, participating in the cannabis community? And, you know, have there been disappointments in that community as well? Well, there's definitely been disappointments, I must admit. It has not been an easy uh, road to travel. I think especially as a queer person and now trans person, there have definitely been a lot of bumps in the road and people who I feel have sort of used me as the token card, the token gay. Uh, and I've definitely faced, you know, homophobia, transphobia when going to like a big stoner event uh, with a lot of bro culture. Um, but to counterbalance that, I've also seen people who have had my back and who have really tried to help me along the way and who have gotten me into spaces that, you know, might be closed off to my demographic. And I think that that speaks much more than the hate and negativity that I've received. And, um, you know, I feel very lucky. Like I have a really good friend, Adam Ill, who's one of my straight allies, who's put his arm around me at any and every event. He's known as the highest host. So to have him, you know, kind of show his bros, like, look, this person is cool and we should love them. That meant the most to me because, you know, it's not necessarily easy for him to do it. I'm sure he gets made fun of for being friends with a person like me. But, you know, that's the power of the cannabis community is that most of us are really just about one love. And we're not about judging people. And we're not about this sort of bro-like culture where it's all about how many fat dabs you can smoke and, you know, who's got the coolest chain. I mean, that's a small part of the community. It's a big part of what society thinks of us. But truly, there's very little of us that are like that. Most of us are 
you know, all encompassing, all loving, uh, and celebrate the fact that we're different. Absolutely. Well, Adam Ill, a recent uh, guest on this program, he took us through the incredible history of an event called the Secret Sesh that he was yes. often uh, the host of. Also, just, you know, as a history show, we always uh, love to point out the incredibly important role that the gay and queer community has played in the push for uh, medicinal cannabis rights and cannabis liberalization across the board. We have episodes you can listen to in our feed about Dennis Perone, about Brownie Mary, about Gertrude Stein, also a more modern figure, Jessamine Stanley uh, interview touches on this. Of course, we have interviewed uh, gay and queer people not about that aspect of their lives as well, but the direct role going back to the HIV AIDS crisis and the push to provide medicinal cannabis to people in desperate need of it. Um, that is really the foundation of the modern cannabis legalization movement. And so, um, you know, on, on behalf of our community that we share, anybody who made you feel that way, um, not only doesn't understand what this community is about, they don't understand the history of this struggle. Um, so I'm sorry you had to experience anything like that. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds like most of the uh, experiences are, are very positive and welcoming. Yes, I, I definitely would agree with everything you said. And, you know, that's what's been so special for me is when I decided to to do this, I didn't know the history myself. I didn't know that there was a long lineage of an intersection between queer culture and cannabis culture. So when I learned this, it sort of felt like, ah, like my ancestors, the universe, God, whatever, had led me to this and had led me to, you know, sort of take on this next generation of education, inspiration, and hopefully to further the fight that my brothers and sisters did before me. Oh, that is an absolutely amazing place to end up in our story. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your life's journey with us and for all that you do, have done, and will do for this plant. We are honored to have you as a guest on Great Moments in Weed History and glad we got to uh, share some weed right at the top. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure to join you today and to, you know, go through a little bit of my history. <laughs> nice. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every weedness day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.